0: Let's dive into week two. So, we started a conversation last week called Don't Miss It. And we've moved our focus as we've gotten into the fall. We've started to think about uh, kids and families and teachers and all of that kind of fun stuff. And so, like I said, two weeks ago, we got to go invest in schools, we invested in teachers. And now we're having this conversation about what it means for our church to invest well in the next generation and kids. That are younger than us. And specifically, what we said was everyone needs someone from the phase ahead of them to get them through the phase they are in. And so, if you weren't here, what I meant by that was there are times where we're going into the next stage of life or we're going into a new situation, whether it's good or bad, and we have a conversation with somebody who's been there. We have a conversation with somebody who's currently there and we learn from them and we glean from them and we learn what to expect. And so, We know that that's beneficial when somebody that's a phase or two or three ahead of us looks back at us and says, this is how I got through it. This is the best way for you to get through it. We also said last week that every phase has a unique opportunity to grow and serve as Jesus did. And so we're all in a phase of life, whatever that means, whether you're in college or you're a grandparent, right? That phase is specific to you and each phase has a unique opportunity to live like Jesus. And so we have to tap into that and say, how am I supposed to help those younger than me, or those in the phase behind me, look more like Jesus themselves. And I showed you this graphic, which is where we get our curriculum from, the idea that we would want to be orange. We would want to combine the two forces of the home and the church together to have the greatest influence on kids. We don't want families to simply show up, drop their kids off, and think that we're going to do all the work developing them into the disciple of Jesus that they need to be. We say that's a tag team effort that we would want to team up with parents on, and why would we say that? Because we have committed to invest in children and students, and then we would also say that we believe discipleship is the call of every believer, and essentially that's what this is. It's us saying we're going to disciple younger generations from whatever phase we're in so that they continue to look more like Jesus, and, and Mike is going to preach more about that next week for us, so you guys should be excited about that. But I want to start our conversation today. We're, we're going to talk specifically Uh, I'm going to talk specifically to parents today. Now, when I say that, I know that I automatically alienate at least two groups of people, right? The group of people that hasn't had kids yet, okay? So they're like, I don't have kids. I don't know what to do with this. Like, I'm not a parent, so this doesn't matter for me today. The other group is, I'm done with kids, right? Like, I've had them. They're out. They're gone. I don't want to think. But here's the thing, right? For both of those stages, I believe what, what we're going to talk about today doesn't just apply to those people with kids today. It, it would help, obviously, if you haven't had kids yet, or if you think maybe you'll have kids in the future, it might be a situation where you think about this later. Maybe you tuck something in your back pocket and just say, you know what, I'll remember that. Or even if you're beyond kids, you've never had kids or whatever the situation is, you, you may know somebody who does, right? You may be in a situation to invest in kids. You might be in a situation where you have nieces or nephews or something like that. And so there's an opportunity to say, I can put this into practice in my life, even if I'm not a parent, but parents today, I want to I want to speak to us specifically as we walk through what this means to disciple our kids. And I want to start with this picture. We're gonna put it up on the screen for you. Does anyone know what this is a picture of? The Wright brothers, right? They were the they were the first in flight. This picture is not of their first flight. I think this was about a couple years later. I think it was about 1903, the first time they actually got off the ground. But that picture was of when they were trying to show that they could do this for the U.S. government. Because the U.S. government was thinking about creating an Air Force. So they were like looking at how to figure this out, right? And they worked very hard at this goal. They spent time, they spent energy, they spent money, because they wanted to be the very first ones to get off the ground. And they did it. And they were successful. And we all get to see the benefit of that today, being on airplanes, and being able to travel somewhere that would normally take... 16 hours and two and a half we can go over oceans now very easily we don't have to take a boat for like three weeks or whatever it would take and so we get to see the benefit of that but here's what i think happened here's what would have happened if i was on that plane the first time it went up right there would be that elation of i'm off the ground this is great and then where would you mind go your mind go i got to get down without dying And without breaking this thing that we've built over months and months and months and months, right? All of a sudden, they entered a territory that they didn't know what to do. Can I say that parenting is much the same way? Like, you you get to prepare for this, right? You get married. You find the right person. You get married. You decide to have kids. You get pregnant. You've got this nine-month runway where you buy all the things and people give you all the stuff. And then you figure it out. And then you go to the hospital and you have the kid. And then there's like that that three-day buffer where it's like they do everything for you, right? Like if you're like, I don't really want to change the baby. They're like, we'll change the baby. And then all of a sudden they hand you the kid and send you home. And I remember that moment. Like you get home and it's like, I actually am in charge of a human now. Like a re- No amount of babysitting, no amount of younger siblings, no amount of nieces and nephews will prepare you for that moment. And all of a sudden you are the sole person or couple that's going to keep this person alive and then make sure that they get taught the right things, make sure they eat the right things, make sure they do the right things. All of that stuff is all of a sudden on you. And even if you've never been a parent, I think you would agree with this, that fulfilled dreams often lead to uncharted territories. You get an idea, you get the opportunity, and all of a sudden you step into it, and it's like, I didn't know this was coming. I didn't know it was going to look like that. I didn't know this was going to... And this is where the phase idea comes in, right? Because you look for somebody else To help in that situation but for parents you get to that moment and you realize all of this stuff is culminating and you realize that you are now the sole person responsible you are the sole people responsible for the life of this child and and what can happen in that moment is that parenting can become very full of fear and anxiety no parent that says I'm never worried about my kids is telling you the truth right you worry about them you think about them it causes you fear it gets you to it, a place of anxiety at times. It's just the reality. All the people that don't have kids are like, I'm never having kids at this point, right? Because this it's there can be, there can be free anxiety. And we think about these what-ifs. I have some what-ifs I wanna I want us to think about. We think maybe what if they don't go to the right school? When we were moving here uh, to this area, we thought a lot about schools. Like one of the things we would think about when we were choosing our houses, what school district are we in? What elementary school would Owen go to? How do we figure that out? Like Is it a spot that we actually want to make an offer on a house on because of the school that he's going to go to? And we're thankful that he ended up at Brecknock, and he's had a great couple of weeks there. We had some friends that helped us understand that area, and so it's been great. It's been a good thing, but it's a thought process. Like, you think about that when you're moving ahead, and and sometimes maybe your kid doesn't like the school they're at or do well at the school they're at, so then you need to switch. And so this whole thing of, like, are my kids going to learn what they need to learn? Are they going to end up in the right place? What if they don't make the team? Or what if they don't make the play? Or what if they don't make the band, right? We, we build into their hobbies and their dreams and their abilities. And all of a sudden, they get to try out in middle school or whatever it is. And you have to deal with them coming out of that situation and them not making it. And then you have to have a conversation with them about what it means for them not to make it. And, and are they sufficient enough? And are they good enough? And you've even put in time and money into this thing that now they didn't, get to be a part of. And so how do you have that conversation with them? It's not a really easy conversation to have, and and, uh, nothing necessarily prepares us for that. What if they don't make any friends, right? What if they go to a school, or they go to a camp, or they go to something, and you think, what if they're the only kid who doesn't have a friend? What if they're the only kid who does this instead of that, or doesn't understand this, or doesn't get that? And so now they spend a whole week, or they spend the whole year, or they spend a whole lunch, Without any friends, you 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 think about that. What do I do if they come home and they say they don't have any friends? What if they don't make good choices? This is really gonna hit when I have to put my kids in a vehicle with a learner's permit or a driver's license, right? They have this little dune buggy thing they drive around our yard. They can't even not run into things in my yard. So like now in like nine years, I have to put them in a real vehicle, and there's other people around with vehicles. That's the hard part, right? So. Now I have to think about, are they going to make right choices? Are they going to get behind the wheel and make a good choice? Are they going to have the opportunity to go to a certain place or a certain time or be with a certain group of people? Are they going to make those good choices? How do I make sure that they don't make bad choices? And how do I prepare them for that? What if they make my mistakes? What if they do the things that I did, right? We know what we did. We know the places we went. We know the things that people we hung out with. We know those things. What if they do that and it doesn't work out for them as well as it did for me or they don't get out of it the way that I did? What if they don't turn out right? What if there's a problem? What if they end up doing something that really gets them in trouble? What if they go through some very difficult stuff? And ultimately, with all of these what ifs, the what if that we're asking in a very big way is what if I'm not a good parent? I think every parent feels that and fears that. What if I'm not sufficient? What if I'm not the right person? What if I don't do this right? What if I go off the handle and this happens or, or whatever? Like, that, What if I'm not good enough? And so the question that I want to walk us through today as parents is this question. What do, how do we raise our kids through all the uncertainty and our fear of incompetence? How do we walk through the uncertainty of what's going to come next for our kids of these what-ifs, and I could have gone on and on and on with these what-ifs, right, that go through our heads, but how do we get through that uncertainty, and then how do we also deal with the fear of our own inability and our own shortcomings as parents? And so here's what I want you to remember. There was oftentimes when I was a student pastor that I would make a, a point or I would drive home, like there was a lesson, there was a one point that I wanted kids to, to walk away with. And many times what I would tell them to do, and you'll probably hear me say this over the course of years here at GFC, but like I would encourage them to write it down on a sticky note or like type it into their phone and screenshot it or something like that and take the sticky note or make the screenshot their background or whatever they were gonna do and take it and put it somewhere they were gonna see it every day. So like if they were going to write it on a sticky note, you put it on the mirror in your bathroom or you put it on the visor in your car or you put it somewhere that you, on your desk, right? Somewhere that you're going to go every day and you're going to see it. And here's the one point that I would want you to walk away with and maybe you would write this down or you would type it up and screenshot it. It's that we cannot be good parents without being obedient children. We cannot be good parents without being obedient children to God the Father. Now, if you're listening to this and you're saying, okay, like I'm hearing you, but I, you don't ascribe to this, right? You're not maybe a Jesus follower yet. You just say, I'm listening in. I found you on YouTube, whatever it is. I'm driving down the road and this podcast popped up. I don't ascribe to this yet. Here, here's what I would say. I would think, and I would invite you into the conversation just to say, do you think that the principles we're going to talk about today, if you were to put them into practice, they would aid your parenting? that they would be a positive thing for you to do, or that it would be, if you knew someone and they were a parent, they would it would be a positive thing for them to do as they parented their kids. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I think that these truths will help us as we walk through what it means to be a good parent, not even necessarily a godly parent. And so I want to start in three spots. We're going to go to three verses. They're all in Proverbs. So if you want to just go to Proverbs, we'll hang out there for a little bit. You can obviously go... Um, in your physical Bible, if you have it, you can turn on your phone, your tablet. You're welcome to go to our website. You can go to the follow along tab and you can find all of the verses there um, right there for you and all the notes. And you can even take notes and email them to yourself and ask questions. It's, it's awesome. It's a good spot to find if you don't want to flip back and forth to all the verses as well. So we're, we're going to start in Proverbs 13 and we're going to go to verse 20. And so Proverbs 13:20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. Now like I said, whether you believe the Bible or not, like you, you could just think that the Bible is just a book written by somebody who was just a good writer, right? You just anything you pull off the shelf at Barnes and Noble. But here I think this verse is true whether you believe in Jesus or you believe in God or not. I told a story last week about how I had to um, take pre-calculus in high school just because of a scheduling thing, and that was ridiculous. I never should have been in that class. But you know what I did? I, very quickly in that class, I figured out who was good at pre-calculus because I was not. And so I hung out with them so I could cheat on their tests. That's not true. I'm joking. I didn't cheat on their tests. But I would hang out with them so that if I was in study hall and they were in study hall and we were doing homework, I could ask them for help. I could say, hey, I don't know how to do this or did – did you get the same thing as me? Or if I'm wrong, like I knew that I was wrong most of the time. So I would say, how did you get there? And they would walk me through. What did I do? I walked with the wise to become wise. I went to the people that knew what they were doing so that I could learn how to do it too. If I went to somebody else who was as lost as me, wasn't going to work, right? No one came to me in precalculus and said, will you help me? This is, this is what we're talking about. If you walk with wise people, if you look at people that you know no more than you, you will glean from their knowledge. And then the second part is if you associate with fools, you will get in trouble. If you follow quarry and pre-calculus, you will get in trouble, right? You can extrapolate that out to any situation in life. And so the first thing we think about, parents, is who are the wise people you're walking with? Who are the people that are helping you process how to be a parent? Are, they, are the people that you're walking with, are they adding to your parenting skills? Are they investing in your parenting ability? Or are they causing you to become or to get in trouble because they're not helping you move in the right direction? So we have to think about, are we are we becoming wise? Are we associating with the right people? We're going to go to Proverbs 10, verse 17. So you can flip back maybe a page or so. Proverbs 10, 17 says this, People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. Let me read it one more time. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. We feel this way with our kids if you're a parent. Like you see them doing something wrong or incorrectly, or it's taking too long. They're not doing it right. And so you sit down with them. And you say, hey, I've done this a few times before. Let me help you walk through this. Let me encourage you in this way. Let me move you from this spot to this spot. And then they go, no, I don't need help. And they do it without you, right? And they continue to struggle. And they continue to pick. Now, there's some point where we want kids to, like, figure it out, right? You want them to kind of fail a little bit and then kind of encourage them in the right direction. Let them figure it out themselves. But here's what I want us to know. It's easy for us to look at our kids and say, man, if they would just listen to me, they would get it right, or they would move in the right direction. But at the same time, parents, we have to hear this. There are times where we have to look into scripture or look into biblical truth or hear truth from someone else and say, this is something that God is working in my life, and we have to be willing to take the discipline. Maybe you think of discipline as a rough word, but we need to take the correcting, the movement in a correct direction, the investment from somebody else or the truth from scripture that we're saying we have to move in the correct direction or we will ignore it and we will go astray. So it's easy for us to look at our kids and say, just do this, like, listen to me, do what I'm telling you to do. But it's a different thing for us to then also accept that and teach our kids how to do this the right way. One of the ways that I think we can show this, and Becca and I have have worked at this, is apologizing to our kids when we need to and saying we're sorry. And what that does is it shows our kids that we make mistakes. We don't get it right all the time. And so we need to be corrected or we need to realize we did something wrong and we acknowledge that. Why? Because we know we need to change for the next time. And so parents, that desire for our kids to listen to us has to be imparted and impressed on our hearts as well the last verse i want to go to in proverbs is in chapter 12 and it's verse 26 proverbs 12 26 says this the godly give good advice to their friends the wicked lead them astray the godly give good advice to their friends but the wicked lead them astray it goes back to some of the same idea we saw in in 1320. But let's go a step further, not just wanting to be around people who are wiser than us, but people that are going to move us in a godly direction. They're going to invest in us from a gospel perspective, that people that are going to want our kids to know Jesus and want us to know Jesus better. Are Are we finding ourselves in those spaces? You know, you'll notice today that My conversation is not about what we do to our kids right, or how we raise our kids. It's about where our hearts are and what goes on in our lives. And so we think about this idea of of being around wise people, learning from people that are in the phase or two ahead of us. We think about having to readjust our lives and being obedient to God when he makes movements in our lives and corrections in our lives and then being around godly people who are going to give good advice and not listening as much to people who are not godly who are going to maybe give us bad advice and lead us in the wrong direction. The thing I want us to know is that I believe a strong relationship with Jesus will give you a stronger relationship with your kids. Investing in your relationship with Jesus will give you a stronger relationship with your kids. Why? Because Jesus was the most obedient child there ever was. And I don't mean for Mary and Joseph. I'm sure he was great for Mary and Joseph. But what he was willing to do was be obedient to God the Father, even to dying on a cross. And so even when, right, we see him in the garden and he's going, God, if there's any other way, right? What's he saying? I, I don't quite get all of this, right? God the Father has this plan. I'm figure, we're trying to figure this out. There's another way that we can do it. Let's do it. And God the Father says, nope, this is the way, right? You have to trust me. You have to go this way. You have to do it this way. And Jesus says, I'll do that. And so by looking more like Jesus, we will be a better example to our kids and we will interact with our kids from a gospel perspective in a better way and in turn have a better relationship with them. Now there's one disclaimer I'll make, right? When we look at Proverbs, they're not promises. So when we think about Proverbs, what are are we saying? We're, We're saying that this more often than not, is the case. There's logic there. Like we talked about wise. I talked about my pre-calculus class, right? There's just wisdom in that. We get it. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be specifically true. This principle that I just said, a strong relationship with Jesus will give you a strong relationship with your kids. It's a general truth. There are times where there's going to be difficult situations. I'll tell a story at the end that will illustrate that for us. But I want us to understand there, there's still going to be difficult times. It doesn't mean that you have a strong relationship with Jesus and your kids are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have a strong relationship with your kids and every, you're always going to make the right choice as a parent. You're never going to make a mistake again. It's not what it means. But if this is our goal, I would say that we will always be moving in the right direction. I have four things that I want us to remember as we think about this and as we process what it means tangibly to be a parent that is wanting to be an obedient child to God and wanting to have that deep relationship with Jesus. The first thing is pray a lot. Pray a lot. We forget sometimes, like we could, again, like we could go to Barnes and Noble and we could go pick out any book on parenting. Right? There's, there's tons of them. And maybe the people that wrote them know what they're talking about. Maybe they have zero idea what they're talking about. And we could go pick that up and we could read it. We could figure it out. But guess what? When you're in a situation, and every parent has experienced this, I think when you're in a situation and you're like, I don't know what to do. Like one night, everything crumbles to the ground, and you're like, I've never been here. I don't remember what my parents did, or I remember what my parents did, and I don't want to do that. And like, I figure this out, and I'm not sure what to, what to do. Like, wh- where do you go? Pray. Sounds sounds fluffy, I know. But at the same time, we always have a lifeline to the person who created us and created our kids and has the plan for our life. And so when we think about what's going on in our kids' lives or going on in our parenting, or again, someone who's not a parent currently, what's going on in the lives of the people you know who are parenting, if you're a grandparent or you have nieces and nephews and you know there's something difficult going on, like, are you praying for them? I think parenting takes a lot of prayer to make sure that you're aligned with what God wants and He knows what's going on in the heart and mind of your child and He knows what the best step forward is is for them. So parents, pray a lot. The second thing is this. Check your own influences. Check your own influences. Let me go back one more time to Proverbs 13.20. He says this, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools, and you will get in trouble, right? Our influences will in turn influence our children, okay? So let me say it this way. What we allow to influence lives will impact those who are influenced by our lives. That's wordy. Let me say it one more time. What we allow to influence our lives will impact those who are influenced by our lives. Let me give you an example. And this is an extreme example probably. But think about like if you had a, a, an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to something, right? That then would probably at some point influence your parenting, which would then influence your child. What we allow to influence our own lives will then have an impact on your child. And what your child processes as a result of seeing the influence of that thing on your life is going to move them to a certain direction. It may move them in a good place where they say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. It may move them to a place where they say, mom or dad did it, so now I'm going to do it. That's going to have an influence on you. Let me bring the, bring it down a little bit differently, right? Let me hit maybe a little bit more close to home. What if the way that you speak about other people outside your home gets to the way that your kids speak about people outside your home, right? If you're at home and you're, you, you have an issue with somebody at work, you have an issue with somebody going, and maybe it's valid, right? Maybe it's a good thing. And every once in a while, husbands, wives, we just have to vent to each other, right? And so just like, it's like safe space. I'm frustrated. We're going to have this conversation. But so many times little ears hear us, right? And they learn the words or they learn the phrases or they learn the way to speak about other things. Listen, what influences us, what causes us to act the way that we are going to act is also then going to influence the way our kids act. And so we have to check the influences that we have in our lives and how they're causing us to behave because it's going to influence our kids. Sometimes we don't think that's true. But I think it's definitely true. And so the voices that you let influence you, whether it's a a voice at work or it's a voice on TV or it's a voice on the internet, is going to influence the way that we parent. So we have to think about who and what we are allowing to influence us. The third thing I would say that we need to do is that we need to show up, guess what, a lot. So pray a lot, show up a lot. Why? Because when we show up, we build rapport with our kids. I remember um, one of the things I think is great when I coach high school soccer is I I think it's great that many parents today can show up to like every game. They can they can drive to the away games. They can be there. They can work their schedule. And I'm thankful to have a job that's flexible that one day when I need to be in different places, like I'll be able to show up in those places. For me, as a middle school and high school student, many of my games were at four o'clock after school, whether they were home or away. My parents both worked full-time, and so I was not the kid who had my parents at every game. Now, they made every one they could at all the time, but it just wasn't a reality. If I had a game at – when I lived in Coatesville, I had a game at 3 o'clock in Lidditz or 4 o'clock in Lidditz. It's not happening. They just couldn't do it, and that's okay. It's not a big deal. But I do remember there was a time where I got to play in our, di- our district playoffs, and the game was at, later in the day, 5 or 6 o'clock or something like that. And my dad, I think he left work early, and he drove to that game. I remember that. Now I remember that was the only district playoff I ever got to play. And I think I got to play 10 minutes as a sophomore because my coach like, was like, here you go. You're going to have 10 minutes because we're never getting here again. But like, it was like one of those things where we, I just remember that he came. He was always around. He came to every game he could. But that one meant something because it was different than normal. So parents, our, our job is not to necessarily, like there, there's times where we can't be at every game, but our job is to show up at the ones we can show up to. Our jobs are to be present at home. The job And, and sometimes work, we, you, know, you navigate that, but when are we present? How are we making that a priority? How do we figure out what that means with my schedule and what's going on in my life? And so showing up and being present does something for us because when we're able to build that relationship with our kids, it also means that we will build influence. Building that relationship builds influence. And when that's true, your kids hear more than you think. I've been on the other side of it as a youth pastor where, where parents are like, my kids never listen to me and and it's frustrating. And they, when you say it, they hear you, you, but they don't hear me and, and all that stuff. Like, but I see the other side. Like when I would sit down and have conversations with kids, like no matter what they tell you, you're still the one that they want to impress the most. Like you're still the one that your approval is what they want the most. Even though they tell you they don't, right? They're like, leave me alone, go away. I know, we hear that too. They care more about what you think than anyone else. Trust me. So continue to show up. Continue to find those spaces where we can build relationship with one another. I want to go before we close today to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4. Fairly famous passage of scripture, especially in the Jewish tradition. And this is a phrase, this is a verse, a couple of verses, that they would repeat often. And so one of the things that we want to learn from them is what were they repeating and why did they think it was actually worth repeating. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 4. It says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one, depending on what version you have. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Verse, verse 6, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So what does he say? We, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this verse, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And then verse 6 says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to this. He, This is a big ask right? Love God with your whole being is, is the simple way to say that and commit to it completely. Don't, don't go half-hearted into it, like commit to it completely. And then in verse seven, the next phrase is this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. What is he saying? You have to love God with your whole being. You have to be completely committed to it And then you can teach your kids about it. Then you can show them what that means. And then what does he say? He says, teach them in the morning, in the evening, when you're on the road, when you're not on the road. When you wake up in the morning, when you're driving to school, when you're driving home from school, when you're eating dinner together. right? In the general cadences, rhythms of your life, you're showing up, you're present, and it's clear to your kids that you have committed to loving God or following Jesus in New Testament language with everything you have. That's what he's saying. But he's saying the commitment to that has to come before we can teach our kids that. And so the commitment is on us. We have to be ready and willing to work on ourselves before we simply work on our kids. Deuteronomy 6 verses 8 and 9 says this, Tie them to your heads and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. We don't get this one as much, but here's what they were saying. Make it physically present around you. So many of us probably uh, at least have been in a space, maybe, maybe it's your home or somebody else's home, where there's like artwork on the wall that has a Bible verse. There's one of those at our house, at least one, right? Why do we do that? Well, it looks pretty and we need something on the wall. But, but the other reason is that it's a truth that we want to be reminded of on a daily basis. And so we put it up there. That's what he's saying, that, that our commitment to Jesus would be so clear, that it would just be present in the general cadence and the rhythms and even in our homes. I'm going to bounce to two verses really quick. Don't feel like you have to turn there, but Proverbs 22.6 says this, direct your children onto the right path and when they are older, they will not leave it. This is the goal, right? That we would guide our kids to the right path and we would set them there and then when they have to decide whether or not to follow it, that they would actually commit to following it that when we're not the one making curfew, we're not the one setting the rules, that they would continue to follow that thing. But here's here's where it, like kind of the rubber meets the road on this. If we go back to 2 Timothy 3 verse 14, which we talked about last week, Paul talks to Timothy and he says this, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Why? Because you know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Our kids have to trust that we believe what we're teaching. them. They have to know that we've made the commitment to follow Jesus and it's clear to them. And then when they get out of our home, when they look back, what they'll see is that even if they don't follow or even if they don't do things exactly the same way, they will trust that we believed it and taught them and moved them in that direction because we loved them and because we loved Jesus. What I would say is that the gospel evidence in your life or my life will be the difference maker in the lives of our children. If we commit to look more like Jesus, it's going to make all the difference in the world when we try and parent our kids. Now, I said a little bit ago when we talk about Proverbs, we're, we're not making promises, right? There's just some wisdom to this. And I said I would tell a story to kind of help illustrate that. And that story is about a professor that I had, in college, and he was walking us through some of the pastoral letters in the New Testament. And there's some conversation in there, especially when we're talking about the um, qualifications for elders and pastors about having kids who are under control and obedient. And so some people look at that, and, and they look at you know kids, and are your kids being under control? Are they obedient? And, and that kind of thing. And then they judge whether you are fit for leadership. Or not. And one of the things that my professor went through was his son, after he had graduated high school, out of the house had become addicted to drugs. And so one of the things that happened was there was a conversation that started to happen about that. And there was a meeting that was going to happen with him and some of the other elders and some key families. And they weren't just ousting him, but they were going to have this conversation. Like, is it wise for us to continue with you at the helm when your kids seem to be not following Jesus at all? And in fact, they're not Or at least this kid, specifically this kid, not following Jesus, but also addicted to drugs. Well, that kid found out that this meeting was happening. And that kid showed up to the meeting and he said, listen, my mistakes have nothing to do with what my dad taught me. He said, my dad taught me the right things. He told me about Jesus. He taught me scripture. He did all the right things. I chose this for me. This is not a reflection of his parenting of me. And so they said, you know what? That's all we need to hear. We can move on from this. And he was still the pastor to that day. Proverbs aren't promises, right? But we can trust that when we do the right thing, God is going to be faithful and move in our lives and the lives of our kids. That kid's life did not turn out the way that my professor planned, right? He wouldn't have chosen that for his kid. But at least when his kid looked back at what kind of parent he was, he knew that he loved Jesus. He knew that he did things for the right reasons. He knew that it was his mistakes or his decisions that led him there and not what his dad taught. He trusted his dad. And he trusted that what he taught him, his dad believed to be true. I told you there was going to be four things that I wanted you to remember. Here's here's the last one. I saved it for last. Remember that God loves your kids more than you do. There's going to be times where we don't know what to do. And our kids do make bad decisions or they do the wrong thing or they end up in a space we never had planned and we'll feel like maybe it was us or maybe it was what you know like we bear the brunt of that. But we have to remember even when we don't know what to do, God loves our kids more than more than we do and he's got a plan. He created our kids. He knit them together. He's got a plan for their lives. He's got a plan for our lives. And we have to trust him. And all we can do as parents is continually look like Jesus. Do our best to pursue our relationship with God and the corrections that he's going to make in us. And when we do our best to look like Jesus and to reflect that to our kids, we will have a deeper relationship with our kids. And our kids will know that the truth we taught them, we believe it. And hopefully, as we continue to pray a lot, right, God sees that through in the lives of our kids, and we can see the fruit of that by when our kids get out of our homes, they continue to follow God. There's not a magic formula to raising good kids or right kids. It's just about us being parents who are going to look like Jesus and reflect that to them as well. Would you pray with me today as we wrap our time? Lord, we're, we're grateful that we have the opportunity, those of us who are parents, that we have um, these kids that you've blessed us with, and we're thankful as a church family that we have kids that run around our hallways, and we get to invest in them, and, and even talking to someone today, that a lot of kids, you know, it's great. And we ask that we would be faithful in the ways that we invest in them, that we would work on our own lives and hearts that we would be so committed to following you that it would be clear to our kids and that would influence our decision-making as we raise them. Ultimately, we ask that every kid that's represented by a parent here today or listening or, or watching online that those kids, when they get out of our homes, they would continue to follow you and continue to follow the things that we've taught them even though we don't get to make the rules anymore. We pray that they would know that we they trust us, that we taught them those things because we love them and because we love you. And I pray for parents that maybe are in a situation, they don't know what to do right now, they're frustrated, they're scared, they're anxious, they're whatever it would be, that they would remember that you love their kids even more than they do, and that you've got a plan for them. In Jesus' name, amen.